Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with Kansas City veteran Hammond B3 organ man, Ken Laverne. He recently spoke with Neon Jazz about a large range of topics, from his beginnings at the University of Missouri-Kansas City, playing with Ida Macbeth at a young age, and all of the gigs that he's been involved with over the years, and the musicians that he's played with, and what's going on now in the Kansas City scene, as well as many more topics. Dig it. So let's go ahead and start off with kind of the alpha of your life. Being born and raised in Kansas City, how did this etch your love of jazz? You know, I played in, in, in jazz band in high school, and uh, even at that time, started listening to like Count Basie and some of the artists that had had Kansas City careers. Um, and about that same time when I was in high school, I started going out to hear. Uh, showed locally uh, Casey Parks and Rec used to do Sunday night jazz concerts and I heard you know Dave Brubeck Pat Buffini uh, oh Les McCann um I'm trying to think some brothers that played that show uh, but they did the, the Sunday night shows and had jazz and got to hear really a lot of jazz grades and you know when I was just a little bit older started to go to clubs like Design Board and heard Phil Woods and Ahmad Jamal so you know, and I know all the great local musicians I, I hear playing. And so I guess there was a, you know, jazz was around and it was something I was interested in. And so that was sort of the first phase was just kind of as a, as a listener. And then, by, you know, by the time I was old enough to be in a bar, I, I started playing jazz gigs. You know, I really wasn't ready to do it, but, you know, there was a decent gig scene around. Um, so that was sort of the second way. Very cool. So what was the first instrument you started playing? Piano. You know, and I, and I still play piano. I guess I did get a, uh, my sister and I, I was just a couple years older, we did get a little chord organ. was probably the first uh, keyboard that I played. You know, and I didn't play that a ton, but I started taking piano lessons as a kid, probably around six or seven. Good deal. So what was it about the Hammond B3 that made you gravitate towards that instrument? Well, and that happened, you know, in a lot of ways later in life that I became so uh, focused on that. I uh, enjoyed, you know, in high school or even really in junior high, listened to a lot of sort of the, the progressive rock bands, the Keith Emerson and like a Palmer and Jeff, and, and a lot of it can't even want to kind of like a grade school listener to Kansas and, and some of the, those bands. And almost all those bands, you know, had Hammond Organ as a big part of their sound. And then, that first Boston record. <laughs> and so hmm. when I, uh, you know, started playing jazz, I noticed that sound. And, and I, when I, I played keyboards a lot, and I would use organ sounds, you know, as a lot of uh, the sounds I would use. But I didn't, and, and I think the first electronic keyboard I owned was a Yamaha Electritone organ. That's kind of a, a compact organ, like a Farfisa or a Vox. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I played those. Hammond organs at jam sessions. Larry Van Loan used to have his organ at, at Blaney's and then later at the Hurricane. They did a Monday night jam uh, for years back in the 80s and 90s. And I would play his organ and I got to play Everett Devan's organ uh, once over at the Epicurean. I remember when I was, I was probably 20 years old. That was a long time ago. And so I get to play Hammond organs at jam sessions. But I didn't really get crazy about it until 
in the mid 90s, organ jazz started to make a little bit of a comeback. I remember seeing uh, Medeski Martin and Wood at the uh, bottleneck in Lawrence, and he was playing Hammond organ and clavinet. And uh, I just got really, just something bit me at that time, and I got really fascinated with Hammond organ and, and just really uh, uh, captivated by the sound. And I just, I just, I, I just bought one. I found one. And I called my buddy uh, Todd Wilkinson, who had a glove the drum room, and he had bought an organ for that. And so he was the only person I knew who bought an organ in recent years. And uh, he sent me to a guy and uh, I bought an organ. And then, you know, pretty soon after that, I quit my day job. And, I just started really being uh, very focused on Hammond organ. The rest is history. Yeah. I tell you what, who do you like to listen to, um, you know, as a Hammond B3 player, who do you like to listen to playing that instrument? Well, you know, there's a lot of greats. Um, and, you know, one of the first ones that I, I listen to a chunk is, you know, probably considered, uh, you know, the fountainhead of modern jazz organ, and one of the biggest is Jimmy Smith. Yeah. And, and he's certainly amazing, and I definitely enjoy his stuff. Um, I kind of, my projection was kind of, I went to Jimmy Smith, and then uh, some of the guys like Jack McDuff and Jimmy McGriff, who were contemporaries of him. And then I, I, got, I really got into Larry Young. Um, and he had a little bit more modern, but she's kind of a post-McCoy post Tyner kind of organ player. Sure. Um, and, and, and I really got an him. I like a lot of the contemporary guys, uh, Larry Goldings and uh, Sam Yehel are, are two of my favorites. And then, like, our group, our OJT group, I mean, we, we do some of those guys' arrangements of tunes, you know, we, and some of the originals, too. I mean, we uh, uh, borrow heavily from some of those uh, organ jazz contemporary groups. And I mean, I certainly uh, uh, gained a lot by going to hear local organ players. And organ's such a physical instrument. There's so many things you physically manipulate on the organ, uh, the pedals and the draw bars and, and different ways of approaching. It was really helpful for me to see somebody play organ and be like, oh, that's how they're getting that sound. Yeah. Um, and so, so going to hear Everett Devan and... Uh, and Rich Hill and some of those guys, hear them play organ, uh, was very helpful to me. And to see them, because, uh, you know, I, at first I was trying to play all the bass lines on the pedals, and, and, and then realized that, okay, it's a combination of using your left hand and using the pedals to get the bass lines to pop. And, and so uh, hearing local people helped a lot, too. Yeah. You know, speaking of bass lines, it seems like, the bass is one of those instruments that people don't think about a lot, but it really kind of keeps the glue together for a band. Oh, yeah. It seems to me the Hammond B3 is that way. What do you think the role of the Hammond B3 in a jazz ensemble is? Well, if you're covering, I mean, in most organ groups, you know, the organ players cover the bass lines. Um, and, and that's your number one job. I mean, that becomes the top priority, because if that's not happening, you know, good luck with anything else. That. That and you know, and, and it's different when you're a piano player and you're playing with a bass player. That the bass player and the drummer kind of have that primary uh, job of keeping the pulse or keeping the quarter note. Uh, and and yeah, when you, when the organ player takes over that role uh, of the bass player, then that kind of becomes uh, the top priority. And it took me a few years to, uh, I think, uh, kind of even realize the importance of that transition. Uh, and 
have a nice, relaxed feeling of the poles, no matter what the tempo is. Uh, and I think that's also kind of what drew me into playing organ and really uh, brought my focus into playing organ was that that responsibility for the bass lines and the poles, in addition to playing chords and melodies, all those stuff, it just put me right in the moment. You know, I was just right in the moment of playing music, and uh, and, and that's something I really enjoyed. Right on. So. You graduated from the Conservatory of Music at UMKC in 89. Talk to me about your career. If somebody wanted to know what was Ken Laverne's trajectory to today, give me kind of an overview of where you started and where you're at right now. Well, it was just a little bit before I finished at UMKC, I started uh, playing uh, with the local Kansas City vocalist Ida Macbeth. And, and that was pretty much a full-time gig. We were playing, uh, you know, 15, 20 gigs a month. And so that was my first uh, yeah, kind of full-time jazz gig out of college. And that was great. It was a, a great uh, opportunity for me. And, and I played keyboards for years. I, I kind of got out of East for a while. I tried to get out. And I went back to school and uh, went to law school. And then I, after I graduated and, and took the bar pot, passed the bars, if I worked for a judge... Uh, on the Kansas Court of Appeals for three years and that's actually when I was working that job as a research attorney on the Kansas Court of Appeals that's when I bought a Hammond organ and uh, you know just spent all my spare time getting that together and about the time I left that job the Court of Appeals after three years I uh, I worked for a while as an attorney but I just backslid into playing music and uh, after a while I, just, I was so focused on playing music it didn't really make sense to do anything else sure. and so and so that, that was a big uh, sort of like life thing, you know, and then since then, I, I just uh, focus a lot on the Hammond organ group, and I, I work with vocals, work with vocals, Bukega Shoals a lot, and we put out a CD uh, five or seven years ago, um, and I've worked with David Bassey some, and uh, recently I started working with a vocalist named Molly Hammer, and so a lot of times my organ jazz group with uh, Brian Baggett and Kevin Frazee, OJT, we'll just, we'll work with a vocalist. And, and it's kind of nice because if it's our group doing it, it's not like a pickup band. It's like, you know, we're a band. We know each other. We know what's going to happen. We have a sort of uh, existing, uh, you know, rapport about who's going to do what and, and what needs to be said or not said or whatever. It's just nice to just kind of take that existing group and, and put it to work uh, with vocalists or horn players or whatever. And that's been a big part of the OJT thing, has been working both as a trio, business round trio, and then working uh, with other uh, featured acts. Um, I hear some other things now. Just a couple of years ago, I started playing accordion, and I play accordion in a Western swing band called Three Trails West. Cool. And that's been, that's been interesting to learn about Western swing music, which, you know, uh, has a lot, really, it has a lot in common with the, the, the jazz of Count Basie and stuff like that. Right on. That's great. Um, so how many albums have you been on? Um, just kind of give me an overview of how many you've been on. Well, I, I haven't counted up recently. Um, all the, the, we've got, on the, for the OJT band, we had our instrumental record, uh, and then we... We had our instrumental record, and then we had a record we did with a with Bukeka. and so those two albums came out just a few years apart. Um, there's uh, most um, re- 
had done is a band called Maria the Mexican. And I'm playing Hammond organ on that record a lot. Uh, Garrett Nordstrom, kind of the songwriter and producer of that stuff, he really likes the Hammond organ. And one nice thing about that thing is it's coming out on vinyl. We've wow. got vinyl records of that, which is awesome. That's great. Yeah, I'm on, we're currently recording a new OJT uh, project uh, with, with Brian Baggett and Kevin Frazee. And we're doing kind of trying to do pop tunes of you know the last 20 maybe 30 years in some real reason where we take pop tunes and give them an organ jazz treatment very cool and so we just started recording that uh, actually uh, a week ago very nice yeah and, and I mean I could go through a big list of, of, of things like Cosmopolitics is a Lawrence Fusion band and we did a release uh called Mental Hygiene that came out a few years ago. I was really proud of that record just in terms of it's kind of uh, uh, kind of modern fusion uh, music and uh, I like that release a lot. Um, there's been a lot of, a lot of James Wright that's a Kansas City vocalist I played on his CD. Um, but, uh, I, I play an organ solo on the Chris Calico release uh I don't know if you know who he is. He's a guy with some Tech Nine. He's kind of Tech Nine's uh, uh, singer guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I played organ. I played an organ solo on a Chris Calico tune. That's uh, what's that called? It's like Notorious, or uh, I'd have to look at the thing to remember the lick. But uh, you know, I've been on a fair amount of recordings over the years. There was a band called the L.A. Ramblers that was a Lawrence uh, original music band. I'm always kind of excited about uh, about the next thing. That's yeah. Happened. Well, speaking of your trajectory and where you've been, I would think being around Ida Macbeth would have been one of the best learning experiences. What was that like? Well, it was great, and that band has has had such great musicians in it over the years. Um, at the time I auditioned for that band, Steve Cardenas was the guitar player, and uh, Steve's had uh, a pretty incredible career he's was like the Paul Motion for years and then different people um Steve Million was the piano player I replaced and Steve's had a couple records out on Palmetto and he's I think he's still up in Chicago and doing real well and working with Ida was great uh the musicians in the band were, were really good um top notch again I was kind of green I was you know coming out of UMKC he had been playing gigs for a while but I was pretty green uh, you know, and I, you know, I, it's a great singer. Once she uh, sings a song, it's it's been sung. You know, yeah. She she, she really gives it her all, and, and and so it was a great opportunity to perform and and, and play. Uh, you know, we did the point back then. We did the point eight nights a week, and we did starters every Sunday night. So it was nice to have steady work and and, and to work up a repertoire. You know, to have tunes that you, that you played over and over again. Um, Forrest Stewart was the bass player then, really great uh, bass player. There's been different other than this guitar player named Paul uh, Evans was a guitar player during a lot of that time. Uh, different drummers. I played with their band uh, right out of college, and then I came back and played with their band again, you know, 12 years later. Um, and then Scotty McBee was doing it, and uh, Forrest was still there. It, it, you know, we ceased. She's worked with some of the same musicians for 30 or 40 years that kind of will filter in and out of her group. Yeah. Um, I just think she's a great singer. 
her. I just, I think she's one of the best, and I think, you know, she could have had all sorts of success uh, outside of Kansas City, but she always kind of just wanted to stay here. Good deal. Um, and, you know, she's not doing as much anymore. I think she's, you know, kind of semi-retired, uh, but it was, it was great to get to play with her and meet a lot of, uh, you know, meet a lot of cool people, and, you know, you never know who was going to be in the audience. We had all sorts of celebrities would be in the audience, Barry Gordy, or different people would show up at the right gig, on. you know. That's cool. Well, speaking of celebrities, you played with cats like Les McCann and Kevin Mahogany, Cecil Payne. What was it, what's it like to be on stage with uh, those kinds of musicians? The thing with Kevin was early in his career, uh, he was putting together bands here in Kansas City, and uh, you know, he just had such a great, rich voice, uh, you know, just from the get-go, and and then was always very serious about his career. And I think that's something, you know, with a lot of those people who, uh, you know, have successful careers, uh, you know, you can tell how important it is to them and that they take it, you know, seriously, they're still having fun, but, but that they're very serious about it and that it's important, it's a priority, and that we're going to do it the best we can. I mean, I think that's something that's common with all those kind of uh, uh, great musicians, um, you know, uh, Les McCann was, was a hoot. Uh, he, he was really, really nice to work with. Uh, uh, Eric Alexander actually put together this thing where he was taking Cecil Payne um, and some other musicians and, and going around and playing festivals, and we got to play with those guys, and, and that was amazing. And, and Eric Alexander had, had, had kind of, uh, Cecil Payne had been a mentor of his, and then Eric was kind of paying him back and helping uh, uh, Cecil book gigs and stuff and helping out his career. And, and that was really cool to see where Eric Alexander had learned a lot from Cecil Payne and uh, and then was, uh, you know, sort of uh, returning the favor by helping uh, uh, Cecil's career to be extended. So talk to me about the Kansas City scene these days. How is it doing? It's the best I've seen it in, in you know, in, in a long time, in recent memory. Um you know, around 2009, 2010, sort of in the back end of the economic downturn, the gig scene started to, especially the jazz scene, started to uh, wane a little bit. It was, it was sort of suffering. And, uh, you know, I noticed, and I do all sorts of gigs, but I noticed I wasn't doing as many jazz gigs, and I noticed there was some downward pressure on the jazz wages, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, it started, the, 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 the gig scene started to get better. More people were coming out to hear music, and that, that, that helps the clubs to, to maybe do more shows in a week, have more, you know, do, do music more nights a week. Um, and uh, about a year ago, uh, John Wayne Scott opened the Green Lady Lounge, and, and I think that's just, that's, it's so great uh, for the, the Kansas City jazz scene. Um, and there's a lot of great clubs in town. John is just such a, a believer in, the, in the, the, the jazz musicians in Kansas City and, and what they have to say. You know, he really, we talked about, uh, I've talked to John about how, you know, he doesn't want bands in there every night just playing uh, old jazz tunes which are great. Everybody loves the old jazz standards and the jazz classics. But but he also thinks there's a place for you know, original 
original bands that have a chance to, to play original music and work up original repertoire. And, you know, he thinks there's a, an audience for that, and there is. People, you know, when people come to Kansas City, a lot of times they want to hear Kansas City jazz. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, he realizes that, and I think it's given, uh, you know, the musicians an opportunity to create something uh, of their own and create something new and, and really given that a place to, to grow. And that's, I mean, that's been so great for OJT. We've been playing Wednesday nights there, uh, you know, for, for almost a year. And, and that's just been so great to be in there on Wednesdays. And, you know, like this, this new recording we're doing, New Standards, we're going, I think we're going to call it New Standards for the Green Lady, where we're, we're taking pop tunes and, and making them jazz tunes, giving them a jazz treatment. Cool. Well, unless you're playing a lot, it's hard to work that stuff up. Because, you know, the first time you play the arrangement isn't going to be the best way. It's going to be the 20th time you play it. Yeah. And, you know, and things happen, and, and, and things grow and develop. And being able to have a, you know, a gig where you can develop that is just, it's just, it's crucial, you know, for a real group. Absolutely. You know, Kansas City, all jazz musicians, and the Kansas City musicians, are, it's the same with them. You can throw four of them together, and they're going to be able to play and play some standard tunes and do a great job, and it might be super exciting. But there's a different type of expression that comes from having a real band. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, you know, I think... Uh, has, the Green Lady's been really good for that because John it, is, is a rare club owner that kind of understands it and wants that, you know, wants to give that a shot and, and, and see what kind of audience is out there for it. Um, the Broadway Jazz Club uh, just opened uh, in the last few months, and that's a great room. It's a good sound room. They've done a lot of things right. There's, uh, you know, people that have a lot of experience. Uh, Pat Hanrahan, you know, has been involved in managing clubs and was involved in managing Jardines. Um, you know, they know a lot about what it takes and doing it right. And that's nice because a lot of times you get a jazz club owner and it's the first time they've done a music venue, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot to learn. And uh, and so uh, the Broadway Jazz Club, I think, has had a really good start in terms of just hitting the ground running and, and really doing a lot of things right from the get-go. You know, it seems to me that the jazz scene has been really rich in the last, you know, number of years. and. Jardines was kind of a big blow. It seems like the karma's kind of turned around, and there's a lot of clubs opening up. Even Take Five, I hear, is a great. Um, oh, it's great. You know. That's a great venue, and I've only been out there a couple of times. But uh, Doug and Lori are super supportive of the musicians, you know, and, uh, and 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 again, they they really they like the stuff that's happening now. You know, they're, they're super willing to uh, to kind of lean forward. It was you know, a little more modern groups. They're not afraid to have more modern groups. Uh, uh, one of the groups I play with does a lot of music by Medeski, Martin, and Wood. And, and, and Lori likes that. You know, she, she likes to have that band out there a lot, you know, and that's awesome. And, and again, there, there, there's, you know, two people that just really, you know, love the music and have a passion for, and, and, and really supporting the music, you know, because they can have their top shop and, and do fine without having music. Um, and so, you know, you can tell that they really have a passion and a love for having the music in their place, and uh, and that, yeah, that's that's a great venue. I'm I'm playing out there a little bit this spring, and I'm looking forward to it because I've only played there a couple times. Right on. So you're a career musician. You've had a long career, and you continue will continue to have a long career. What do you want people to remember you by as you get towards the end of your career? How do they want? How do you how do you want them to reflect on you and your career? 
of the, my career is like the beginning of my career. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I, I just, a lot of that is I, I want, you know, my, my peers and my musician friends to remember me as somebody they can count on, you know, to do what I said I was going to do and have integrity and, and, you know, be in a good place and be ready to have fun making good music, you know? Yeah. That's, that's always been a lot of what's important to me in being a musician is there's just, there's so much fun to have with your friends while you're playing music. And I've never understood the other approach where, you know, uh, people act like, you know, sometimes you see musicians that aren't in a good place and they don't want to be there or whatever. And I just, that always seems so sad to me. It's such a wasted opportunity, you know, to have fun playing music. It's such a gift to yeah. be able to play music. Absolutely. Uh, and and that's, that's a big thing for me. It's just that, you know, that I want to be remembered as somebody who was, uh, you know, a good side band and a good band leader. You know, I try and do both those things. And being a band leader makes you such a good, more respectful side band because you realize, you know, a lot of the challenges. I, I think I, I'm better at keeping my mouth shut as a side band now than I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I get, you know, as far as, Uh, do you do you live with any regrets? So, if you could get in the Jazz DeLorean and go back in time and meet one musician from any era, uh, preferably jazz, who would it be and why? Yeah, I'd probably want to meet Charlie Parker. And why, I guess, just to try and get a handle on who he really was and, and maybe understand him a little bit. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, he's... He's certainly, you know, one of the giants. I think the fact that he's from Kansas City is huge. I mean, I, I feel his presence here, you know, among the musicians and, uh, and in the scene and just, 
And, you know, they're people, so sometimes you're trying to talk to them, and they really just want to get a hamburger or something, you know, they, or they want to get out of the club or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but it would sure be cool to be able to go back in time to, you know, a Kansas City jam session in the late 30s, you know, or something where Charlie Parker was sitting in and trying new stuff and seeing if it, you know, seeing the reaction people would have to him, you know. Uh, like when he got back from one of his trips to New York or uh, from Woodshed down at Lake of the Ozarks, you know, came back to a Kansas City jam session and was sitting in on Cherokee or whatever. Yeah. Um, that would be pretty cool. That, yeah. I'd, I'd have to say that would be a highlight. So, what was the last song or album you listened to before we talked today? So as we kind of get to the end of our interview here, I want to kind of get to the crux of, of, of who Ken is. Tell me who you are in the length of one tweet. 144 characters, one sentence. Who are you? Kansas City born uh, musician, uh, organ, jazz, piano, uh, accordion, <laughs> uh, father, husband, uh, friend. Yeah, that's that's a tough one to try and boil it down. Um, but that's yeah, that's a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City, Kansas City organ jazz player, uh, Kansas City jazz musician. I mean, that's that's a lot. The thing about my career is I, I just I also play other styles. Yeah. You know, that, that's almost you know, as a Kansas City musician. That's perfect. You hit it right on the head. Hey, Ken, again, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Continued success, and hopefully I'll run into you out there at some point, live and in person. Very cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight to the finest players in Kansas City, giving fans all of that jazz. And thanks to Ken for his time and insight into his craft and for giving us all those B3 notes and that dedication to the Kansas City jazz scene. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or for all things Neon Jazz, visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.